going to be in Mark 6, continuing, finishing up this chapter today, I think. Mark 6, 45 through 52. I'm going to read first as we get ready for communion. Immediately he, Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After saying farewell to them, he went up on the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. When he saw that they were straining at the oars against an adverse wind, he came toward them early in the morning, walking on the sea. He intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. There's a saying that is very popular today with people. It goes something like this. Say someone gets a flat tire on their bike, and they had to walk to their destination. They tell their friend, and their friend says, bummer, that must have been hard. And the first person responds by saying, I had to walk to class. Yeah, the struggle is real. (laughs) Now, by saying the struggle is real, we express the difficulty we're facing while also relating that we understand that there are worse hardships in life. And the one that we're dealing with is actually not really a struggle at all. When it is said, everyone laughs because we put in perspective that we didn't want this annoyance in our lives and we're fine. The Urban Dictionary says, with irony, this saying has a comical effect of dramatizing a non-critical yet undesirable situation. The struggle is real indeed. I was pondering how our culture deals with the difficulties in life which we face We all want to be able to tell others about our hardships, but we want to be careful to make sure that they know that we know that complaining is not a pretty shade on anyone. It's like the other saying that we hear often, oh, I spilled my coffee all over my friend's desk at work today. Oh, well, first world problem. But where's the line between the struggles that aren't worth dwelling on and the ones that could be a defining time in our week? How do we know when to figure out that the flat tire we joke about brings up the fact that we have zero money to pay for it and that terrifies us? And the coffee we spilled on the friend's desk was supposed to be an overture for a difficult situation where we were offering peace. When our petty annoyances turn into full-blown issues or layer on top of an already burdened life, what do we do? Because minimizing our problems is only sustainable for so long. In the scripture today, the disciples are struggling on a lake. Remember that this is right after the generous miracle where Jesus provided supper for thousands of people. Immediately after the party is over, Jesus makes the disciples get in a boat to go to Bethsaida, and he says goodnight to the crowd. It is time for quiet. 
Jesus needs respite with the Father, and the disciples can go to a place that is familiar to them because some of them are from Bethsaida. But it doesn't quite turn out as planned. Verse 48 says that early in the morning, Jesus saw them still in the middle of the lake. The wind was so bad, they were getting nowhere, even though they were rowing hard. Other translations tells us that this is the fourth watch. So that puts us between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the morning. So they've been in the boat trying to get someplace for how long? Maybe we estimate six hours? Eight hours? Long enough to be over it. Long enough to wonder how they're going to get there. What started as a normal journey across the sea turned into a struggle. That must have been very real for them. So we know they're tired physically. They're using all their strength to stay afloat. We also know from our study in these last few weeks that they're exhausted in their souls. They've been ministering without a break. Their friend John the Baptist has been killed, so they are in grief. The people are relentless coming to them and asking to be ministered to. But look what else is going on for them. In verse 52, it says that their hearts were hard because they didn't understand about the loaves. In feeding over 5,000 people, Jesus has just done a major miracle and his closest followers are unmoved by it. Are they shut down? Are they having a bad attitude? Are they in a place of saying, yeah, whatever, now those people are really going to come after us? We don't know. We just know the disciples are not in a good place, literally or figuratively. But look at what happens. Jesus sees them. From his perch on the mountain, he watches them strain against the wind. He knows their hearts. He knows that they need him. So he goes out to them, not in a boat, but walking on the water. How cool is that? What a great picture. And in verse 48, it says, he intended to pass them by. In fact, the original is even stronger. It says, Jesus wanted to pass them by. This is where we pause and say, what? He's going to walk by and say, hey, how's it going? Now, there are many thoughts about this from scholars, but let me give you one that resonated with me the most. The word pass by is one that we see in two passages in the Old Testament, first in Exodus and again in 1 Kings. In Exodus, the word is used to describe the Lord passing by Moses while he stands in the cleft of the rock so he can experience the glory of God. In 1 Kings, the Lord tells Elijah to stand on a mountain because he is going to pass by him. So here's something that ties all of these three stories together. Everyone who got to experience the presence of the Lord in this way was in a difficult place. And God intentionally shows up to help them. Moses was struggling with leading a stiff-necked people who were rebellious and needed the reassurance of Yahweh. 
Moses needed some fresh impetus to go on to do this belief and work that he had to do. Elijah was ready to give up because King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were after him. They were going to take his life for speaking God's truth. So he ran away terrified and despondent. He needed the affirmation of the Almighty's whisper to give him perspective again. The disciples think that they're alone in the dark, not able to make headway against a forceful wind. Their hearts are disgruntled. They're weary of everything going on. And Jesus knows. He knows they need an infusion of his strength in this moment. So they will remember that just like he was there for the crowds, that just like he has been there, for so many people, that he is there for them too. For servants of the Most High God who are demoralized, who are having a hard time seeing hope, who can't make progress in what it is that they're truly trying to do, who want to quit because of the daily struggles that they face, the Lord comes to them with his very presence. What an amazing God we have A God who shows up in the middle of our darkness, in the middle of our struggles, and shows us his power and his might and his glory and his strength so that we might never forget that although we struggle, he is bigger than anything we face. He who is able to walk on the water as if it were a platform can miraculously change our circumstances as we trust him. So as he meets us, we are renewed in body and spirit, able to go back to the work that he has for us to do, ready to face what will come next. When the disciples don't recognize him, terrified that what they think is a ghost, in the dark, things look weird, Jesus tells them, it is I. Don't be afraid. Literally, he is saying, be encouraged. There's nothing to fear. I am. I am. Jesus uses Yahweh's name for himself when he comes to pass by them, revealing again to them his divinity. This is a powerful truth. Don't ever forget that no matter how hard you row, only to stay in the same place, that at some point God is going to show up. And he is going to remind you who he is. And he's going to get in that boat with you and get you to the other side. He's going to rescue you from the things that have been working against you. He's going to rescue you from a situation that you thought you were stuck in. Jesus meets us in our struggle and wants us to experience how his power can help us overcome the hardships we have in this life. Today, we come to communion. The moment God comes near us as we remember the death of Christ on our behalf. So what is going on for you this day? How are you overwhelmed? Are you facing struggles that seem bigger than the Lord? Do you feel alone? Is your heart hard against God because you don't understand how he is working or what he is doing. 
Is fear preventing you from being able to see him? Where do you need rescue? My prayer this morning is that the Lord will pass by us as we come forward to receive the elements, as we bow before him in humility and honor today, that his presence will come to us in life-giving ways, that we will see his glory evidenced. This is what the Lord does for those who live for him. He meets us where we are and transforms our situations and our hearts and minds in the devastating and in the inane. In all that we know and are, God comes to give us his presence. So may we know today the life-altering presence of the Almighty. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.